It's Megacon, the largest comic book, anime, gaming, and multimedia event in the southeastern U.S. returns. Megacon from March 21st through the 23rd, 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center in magical Orlando, Florida. Confirmed comic book guests include Frank Bruner, Neil Adams, Bill Sinkevic, Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Land, Michael Golden, Dennis Calero, George Perez, Brandon Peterson, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Collie Hamner, Carl Story, Renee Winterstater, Billy Tucci, and Brian Polito. Just added Nick Bradshaw, Adam Kubert, Dan Jurgens, Mike Miller, Kevin Eastman, Joshua Ortega, Digger, Bart Sears, Ethan Van Skyver, Mike McCone, Frank Thierry, Mike Mayhew, and Chuck Dixon. Confirmed media guests include stars from AMC's The Walking Dead, Torchwood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many, many, many more. Plus I, Scott Gardner, will be there representing the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Tickets are available online now at www.megaconvention.com. Children 10 and under are free with paid adult ticket. That's Megacon 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center, Magical Orlando, Florida, March 21st through the 23rd. For information, contact info at megaconvention.com or visit www. Megaconvention.com. That's Megacon 2014. Be there. Hey everybody, Magnus here. Just wanted to give you a heads up. This episode was originally supposed to be about comic book movies specifically, but it ended up taking quite a few twists and turns, none of which were predicted, but all of which were perfectly welcome. Nevertheless, this is a pretty long episode, so just want to raise awareness with you about that. And uh, also just wanted to thank everyone for uh, joining, joining me tonight, especially since it was gone kind of short notice. So thanks again to all, to all of the uh, participants, and especially to all the people that, I, that volunteered just sort of late in the game, and there really wasn't a way to work them in. I also want to thank you for, for your interest. I'm also going to try to figure out some sort of a way to include you in future episodes because I couldn't do it in this one that doesn't mean I can't do it at all so that's pretty much that so I'm gonna I'm just gonna shut up right now and I guess hand the mic to myself huh I didn't really think that one out hey your attention please this is a piece of art his Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. I'm your host, Magnus, and I'm awesome. And on this show, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. Usually. This time out, though, I'm suspending talk about comics and movies so that I can ask the question of just why some of us care so damn much about comic book movies. I mean, have we made comic book movies maybe too big of a priority 
Are they more important to us than comics themselves? We've got a real ball smasher of an episode tonight, people, so uh, because I've got a few guests with me this time out, and I'll bet they'll have something to say about all of this, so... Or I hope so, anyway, because that's kind of why they're fucking here, so... Anyway, first up in this Sausage Fest of a podcast, we've got Professor Allen, host of the Quarterbin podcast, co-host of the Shortbot Showcase, real-life college professor, and all-around nice guy. Welcome back, Professor. Hey, Trent. Good to, good to talk to you again. It's good to talk to you. Talk to you. Now, uh, Alan, again, i got to tell you, I seriously dig your show. You're doing a great job with it, and I, I love the concept of it. I'm, and those listening, if you're not listening to the Quarterbin podcast... Seriously, what what the hell is your problem? It's twenty minutes. It's every couple weeks. You can squeeze that in. Right. I mean, that's a that's a trip to the bathroom. People, just put it on your iPod. But anyway, also joining us is Two True Freaks co-host and former Jersey Shore producer Scott Gardner. Welcome back, Scott. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. You know, I'm excited to find out that there's a show called Short Bus Showcase, because I think I need to tell my friend Chris Honeywell about that. I think he'd really be into that show. Very close. Very close. (laughs) Um, Joining me for the first time is uh, Sean Engel from the uh, Just One of the Guys podcast. So welcome aboard, Sean. Glad to have you. Hey, thanks for having me on, Trentus. Anytime. I'm glad you elbowed your way in. I mean, I'm glad you were able to make it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, that's usually how I have to get on any podcast, or I have, or or I have Honeywell come in and you know drag me in for some obtuse reason. <laughs> well, there you go. And last, but Lord knows not least, also joining me for the first time is Bill Robinson, co-host of the of Back to the Bends and Avengers Spotlight. Welcome to the show, sir. Oh, I'm on the wrong podcast. See you guys. <laughs> All right, and there goes Bill. <laughs> Uh, thank God we got Hello. Back Hi, everybody. Hey, I'm still here. Oh, <laughs> good. How's everybody doing tonight? Very well. Excellently. Well, we know about you, awesome. Scott. I meant more everybody else. <laughs> You've already answered the question. <laughs> all right. First off, uh, guys, seriously, it was really cool of all, you, all of you to join me tonight. And I'd like to thank each of you for coming. That's awkward. <laughs> boom. Yeah, no, I mean, here I am expressing a little bit of gratitude, and wow. I'm sorry, you have to realize that we're pretty much assholes in, you know, every aspect of our podcasting lives, so you just, you know, kind of have to roll with it. Okay, which well, is I expected better whenever you're in the presence of royalty, so. <laughs> well, <laughs> sadly, we're, we're kind of idiots when we have to deal with that kind of stuff, so we apologize. <laughs> well, I apologize, yeah, I, Scott. I think but, you're... I think you're all with the court jester, so I don't know what kind of royalty you're thinking about. Except for maybe Professor Allen. (laughs) My job is about lecturing to people, not like talking to them. That's totally different. Yeah, talk at them, not to them. Yes. I don't know how to teach. I'm a professor. Thank you. Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) A doctor, not a professor. Well, to bring all of this into topic, um, one of the things I've noticed over the past really several years, but in the past several months especially, is a large contingent of comics fans seem to only care that their favorite comic book characters become movie stars at some point. And to emphasize something, we're not, we're not talking about television. We're talking specifically about 
big budget feature film. And the easy impression to get from the comments that some of these people make is that in some ways their sole concern lies with a particular character gaining the maybe it's just the perceived respectability of big budget movie treatment but in any case my estimation we've kind of reached the point where comics themselves are almost totally secondary in this in this whole equation so i guess my question is why are things like this? Why does everyone have such a boner for comics being made into film? And by the way, I'm proceeding from the assumption that this movie fixation is a bad thing. But if you feel otherwise, by all means, feel free to say so. So uh, what do you guys got? Well, I think at some point it's going to burn itself out because I, I see it as a generational thing in that if you look back – Oh, when I was growing up, uh, when I was uh, growing up, the big thing that was petering out at the time was the westerns, and then we moved into more along the cop films, and I think we're seeing now that my generation, because we're in the we're in the demographic, I don't I don't want to call us the geek demographic, but we're the ones that are buying and 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 have the money, the disposable income, and we want to see comic book heroes and comic book movies and i think this is going to peak and it's going to e eventually burn itself out maybe another 10 maybe 10 years i think uh i'm glad to see it now i enjoy some of the movies i don't have i'm not i'm not dying to see them like oh my god i have to see this movie i'll see them because i'm interested in them um but there's some i'm sure that are come out that i eventually i'm going to lose interest or just take it or leave it uh uh, that's just off the top of my head. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Professor? Well, I think this is not just comic book fans. I think this is fans of, of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. you know, fans of books who get disappointed when their book adaptation into a movie is such a disappointment. Or fans of the, you know, your, your favorite play or musical, your huge Les Mis fan. And when it becomes an Oscar-winning movie, that's some sort of validation to you. So I think comic book fans may be a special subgroup of that. But, you know, I'm a big fan of the uh, John Carter books and was I am so disappointed. Sorry. I, I was very disappointed by how bad the movie was and how bad the movie did. You know, and I had no control over that, but it was something I really like, something I enjoy. And this was a chance for lots of people to understand what I like about it. I mean, the, the, the scope of a movie and the sheer numbers of it compared to comics or TV or even best-selling books, you know, the, the, the numbers swamp uh, any other type of entertainment. And so the chance to see something that you like and to share it with other people. I, mean, I think that's not just limited to comics, though I do think geeks tend to take it a little more personally because we're not used to having things that are popular or being popular ourselves. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I'll take I'll take that one step further, saying that I think the uh, big budget movies of uh, major comic book heroes is what a lot of comic book geeks and nerds like to hang their hats on when people see a comic book movie, say the Avengers make $120 million its opening weekend that some way validates the comic book fans who are actually reading the comics into 
into feeling accepted because all these people have spent so much money to go out and see this movie. They feel that they are actually that their enjoyment of comics has been validated. Now, whether or not that's the case is is up to you for interpretation, because I think a lot of people now who are watching these comic book movies really have no connection to the comics whatsoever. I have a person uh, who's a huge Superman fan up at my work, but I don't think he has read comic one. All he knows about Superman is basically from the Man of Steel movies and or the Man of Steel movie. And uh, I think he's watched a couple of DC animated shorts and he's watched the Christopher Reeve movies. So it's it's kind of I think the reason these movies are so popular and, and then the reason we put so much emphasis on it is because we as comic book fans want to sort of feel validated. And when we see the movies succeed, it, it validates ourselves. I see. Well, uh, and I guess then uh, the question I would have um, in your in your opinion, then, is the success or failure of these any sort of an indictment or endorsement of a character like take Green Lantern, for example, is that movie kind of came and went and it didn't seem like it it didn't seem like it ever found an audience i maybe that's the most polite way to put it no i i agree i think and the thing was that movie it had a lot of potential it had a good director martin campbell uh, arguably has done uh some of the best bond films out there he did golden eye and he did casino royale mm-hmm. uh Prior to that, he did the Mark of Zorro film, which was just a fun adventure film. So you've got a good director there. You've got uh, Mark Guggenheim, who did uh, the script along with some other people. And it was based on very popular Jeff Johns uh, iteration of Green Lantern. But for some reason, none of that came together to really grasp someone. So, But then you get Christopher Nolan doing the Dark Knight movies. And I know this is going to be a point of contention with Scott that was really well received but had very little to do with the the character of batman other than he's a guy who wears a bat suit so i i i i don't know exactly you know why these movies tend to succeed or tend to fail i see i mean when but when comic book costumes come to our doors on Halloween, do we interrogate the six-year-old as to whether they've actually are familiar with the Claremont run of Wolverine? Uh, what are they basing this costume on? Which, which era of Spider-Man are they talking about? Do they approve or disapprove of one more day? I mean, we don't hold, you know, we, we don't need to hold someone who thinks they're a fan of something just because they've seen it in a different context. I, 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 I think we can throw the doors open and say that's okay. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, you haven't been to Scott's house. <laughs> what what, what is treat. this? Keep throwing me under the bus here. What, what is that? All Where'd you get that costume from, kid? Have you even read a comic book? <laughs> it is funny that you bring that up, though, because it was something I was actually thinking about the other day. And, and I'm very curious... If anybody in this group or anybody listening to this show might find themselves, you know, either feeling this way or at some point in their in their fan life, they have felt this way, is that I I realized a while ago that 
something weird it has been going on in my brain pretty much my whole geek life and I never really like consciously acknowledged it until recently which is I'll really be into something you know that that's kind of seems like kind of a small thing like there's only like so many people really into it almost like a secret club or something and I'll give you a great example Batman when I was coming up as a as a comic collector like say like in the the late 70s early 80s I just I didn't know anybody that that was really into Batman because the stink of the of the 60s show was still really on that character a lot of people didn't really seem to take him all that seriously and I can remember at the same time when Chris Honeywell you know my best friend when when we were going to the comic shop and buying comics you know I'm buying Batman and he'd give me you know playfully of course but he'd give me grief about that he was getting you know Claremont and Byrne X-Men and Simonson Thor and all these great comics that I wouldn't discover until later on, but I'm still plugging away on monthly Batman, you know, whether it was good, whether it wasn't, that was just my thing. And then all of a sudden the movies of Batman start to come along, pardon me. And I don't think they're all that great. I don't think they're all that faithful to the character and about the time everybody else jumps on board and discovers the character. I'm kind of like, well, all right, well, I guess I'm done with this then. And I've noticed that's happened to me several times over the years with with a number of different things. Um, It was kind of, this isn't really geek related, but it was kind of the same thing like, say, with Titanic. You know, I was a big Titanic buff all my life, but the moment the the movie comes, you know, the James Cameron movie comes out and everybody and their brother is suddenly a Titanic fan, kind of pissed me off. It was like, well, that was my thing to be into. Now everybody's into it. And I kind of stopped caring and, so I'm just wondering, has anybody else got into that? Because I, that's my one concern with this, is that every time they, you know, <laughs> they in quotes, get a hold of something that we as fans have, have loved and cherished and kind of kept alive all these years, generally speaking, they screw it up and they ruin it for us. Well, and I can kind of connect to that on the grounds that um, it's not exactly the same thing, but sort of. Um, I am never going to watch Doctor Who. The day will never come when I watch Doctor Who. And that's because I'm sick and goddamn tired of Doctor Who fans. Yeah, I said Doctor <laughs> Who fans. Not Whovians. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, guys, but, you know, if you listen to the Beatles, you don't get to call yourself a magical mystery tourist. You're a Beatles fan. If, if, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're a Superman fan, you don't get to call yourself a crypt enthusiast. You're a Superman fan. So that means if you're a Doctor Who fan, you know what that makes you? A fucking Doctor Who fan. But anyway, point is... I thought it made me a Trekkie. Or it could... <laughs> or, yeah, it, it could be. But, well, even that, you know, like the whole Trekkie thing, that was actually applied by the outside world, and then the and then the Trekkies just kind of took it on themselves. I mean, it was something I think that was meant to be pejorative, but then I've they... I've always looked at it that way. I, I, I consider that word quite insulting myself, but... Right, and then they, they co-opted it for, for their own purposes, and I'm fine with that, but... You know, there's something about, you know, something being uh, embraced. And I, and I hate to think what this says about me. My God, but what a pretentious bastard. But, you know, the minute something, even if it's just that people are just talking about it too damn much, I can't. I, I, I just can't get on board with that. And I think actually a very good example of that is, like Scott was saying, is, is actually Batman. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm actually kind of, I think I'm kind of done. 
you know, with, with Batman. Now, I'm sick and tired mm-hmm. of those fucking Facebook memes where, you know, it's not enough that somebody likes Batman. They have to belittle Superman in order to like Batman. Right. And and to me, number one, that that's incredibly obnoxious. But number two, you know, I, I don't understand this whole either-or mentality, and it's actually kind of turned me off to the character. I'm sick of Batman. I think he's way overexposed. I, and to be honest with you, really, he's the greatest hits uh, stolen from a lot of different sources. I mean, you, you really want to get down to brass tacks. At least Superman is mostly original. But anyway, that's that stuff. My, my point is I, I very much connect with Scott with what you're saying, and I sympathize. So five minutes to get there, but here we are. <laughs> Well, and I think the reason why we see this going on is because these movies have to have such a broad appeal. That's where we're seeing the diminishment of the characters. The con- the actual comic book characters are having to have such a broad appeal in movies in order to make their money back that they can't really have the same sort of feel as they do in the comics. Because you're not going to believe uh, in the middle of a Batman movie Batman pull off his matches Malone mask, as we've said before, and then, you know, suddenly he has the full hood and cowl on. You're not going to be able to pull that off in the movie. You're not going to be able to pull off uh, Batman swinging from building to building via grapple line. So you're going to have to do something else. And those are just minor nitpicky things. But I think the fact that the movies have to have such a broad appeal, it diminishes the fact that the... uh, character that comic book fans grew up with isn't being portrayed on the screen so so is the problem then just with the nature of film or is it the fact that the mechanics of telling a story in comics are so fundamentally different from the from the mechanics of telling a story in film that's the problem i would say the latter okay i think every medium is different and every medium has its strengths and weaknesses and every medium has stories that work better in, in various media. I'll give for, you that. For example, I, Superman works great as a musical. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'll give you that, that, that there are vast differences between the you know film and a comic book. So much as the, the new take with, with both, say, Marvel and DC is that Oh, comics are just movies on on the printed page. No, they're not. They're they're completely dissimilar mediums in a lot of ways. That said, I you know I'll I'll slightly disagree with Sean that we couldn't get a Batman movie that that feels very much like an older version of Batman. You know the the version I grew up with, where he actually did you know, throw out a batarang with a with a rope attached to it to swing from building to building or use some sort of grapple like he did, you know, with the animated series and that you couldn't have him, you know, pull off a rubber mask and <laughs> there he is, you know, with the full cowl already on and the full costume underneath the clothes type of thing. I, I think you could get away with those sort of things if you did it right. And the, the big reason I think that is that See, I, I have to take a very different stance uh, on this particular subject we're talking about because, uh, you know, if, if we were discussing this, say, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I'd probably be very much on the side of, yeah, I, I don't think comic movies have that much longer. But ever since Avengers came out, and I, and I don't want to be one of those people that, that – you know, appears to be holding Avengers on, you know, putting Avengers on too high a pedestal. 
But I just, even with all that's been said and all the praise that's been heaped on that movie, I still wonder if some people truly appreciate that movie um, enough, you know, or, or at least in the right way is that, you know, it's, it's not a flawless movie, but at the same rate, that movie, at least in my opinion, it pulled off a number of miracles. And, and the biggest one that it, it pulled off was that it took some concepts and some ideas that let's face it, we all accept them because we're comic fans and we grew up with this stuff. But to the average man on the street, some of the concepts and some of the things that actually came off in that movie and we all bought it and we all loved it are pretty patently ridiculous. Yet, just through the earnestness and the way that that movie was was produced and directed, it it was sold. It worked. And so I think that this is what really irritates me with DC comic movies these days is that I don't think that they're prepared to fully embrace the more absurd aspect of their characters. Instead, they've run completely in the opposite direction. They've gone so – see, I, I hesitate to you know keep using gritty, but real world. They're, they're trying to go mm-hmm. so far real world – that I, you know, I'm of the opinion that if you take a, a character like, say, Batman or Superman, and if you run far enough in the wrong direction of real world, that your movie actually becomes more ridiculous than if you just ran with the ridiculous and made it work. I, agree. I think that's one of the great successes. And again, I don't think this gets enough appreciation. I think that's one of the great secret successes of Superman the movie is that they didn't shy away from the ridiculous. They embraced it. They embraced the ridiculous and just ran with it, and it worked. And I think to a large degree, if there's one thing that, that Avengers did right was that you know whether they looked back at Superman the movie or not, I have no idea. But I think they just acknowledged the ridiculous, made it part of the world that they lived in, and just forged ahead. And I like that. I think that is the secret formula to a great superhero movie. When you fully realize yeah, this guy's wearing a ridiculous costume. He's doing all kinds of physically impossible things, um, even denying the law of physics in a lot of instances. And But you know what? We're just going to run with it, and we're just going to maybe occasionally we'll even reference it. But we're not going to shy away from it. We're not going to take this and go, you know, this Captain America character is really pretty damn ridiculous. We need to realistic him up in order to sell this movie. No, they, they made that movie by fully embracing everything that's awesome with that character. And for the most part, people loved it. I think that's the way to do it. It's the way, you know, Stan did it, for example, you know, with the Marvel characters back in the day. I mean, I don't think he ever made any bones about the fact that a lot of his characters he thought were flat ridiculous too. But again, it was the way he wrote it. It was the way he presented that world to us that we all, you know, we all bought into it. I, I think yeah. the movies got to be, they got to be treated the same way. Otherwise you get, I mean, I, I, I myself, I can't as much as I'd love to, I can't deny the fact that, yeah, you know, the, the Batman, the, the Nolan Batman movies, they made money, you know, sure they did. And they have their fans, but, I still don't see them as particularly fan pleasers, if you know what I mean. They're still very, very divisive movies, and I think that's why. 
because you do have people that have embraced them, but you also have a lot of diehards that look to them and said, that's not my character because it, it didn't, they don't truly feel like the comic book incarnation. You know what I mean? I, I, I do. You and get, I think this is one of those things that fans eventually kind of woke up and smelled the coffee about. I mean, I remember after Batman Begins came out, it was the height of poor taste to speak ill of Chris Nolan in any context. I remember that very clearly. And mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, that was especially the case after The Dark Knight. And it kind of felt like, and this is long before I started listening to, to a Two True Freaks, it just kind of felt like I was the lone asshole in the room that kind of had problems with how things went in, in, in The Dark Knight. Not so much content, but, a, but more, in, more in terms of tone. You know, it just kind of felt like there's nothing... There, there, there's just something that's kind of cool about Batman, and I don't want to sit here and pick apart Chris Nolan's movies, other than to say, right? That, yeah, that was the last thing I wanted to do was was to turn this into some sort of you know Nolan bashing thing. I've had my my turn at that, but it's just I, I just look at those as the the best example of truly the the night and day difference, no pun intended, between say the way Marvel is doing their films these days and the way DC's doing theirs. That's that's all I meant to say about that. Well, right, but, it's, but it's, my, if, my, my point on that was ultimately going to be that fans eventually kind of came around to it. You know, it's to, to basically to not to not be a huge fan of that movie uh, of those movies back in 2009. You were a little bit of a fanboy heretic to not yeah. <laughs> be so much a fan a, a fan of them now you're starting to become pretty mainstream. And I think this is one of those things that fans are, give them enough time and they'll eventually work this out. Right. It's the civilians that won't. This comes to define their sensibilities about the character. And that's one of the reasons why I think there's a certain amount of risk whenever you present any kind of superhero movie, because you're going to be shaping a lot of people's tastes about this. And now, for better or for worse, people are going to think of Bane as this dude who works for the League of Shadows and talks like Jar Jar Binks when, I'm sorry, the comic book version is a lot more pimp than that. You know, and that's just that's an example. And again, I'm not trying to single out Nolan other than to just use that as an example and then build on that to go other ways. But I've been sitting here yammering. I'm sure other people have other points. So, yeah, I I I I think part of the problem that we have here is when you're talking about the people not liking The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, that's only two movies that made a billion dollars U.S. between them. $450 $450 million for Dark Knight Rises, 550 for The Dark Knight. I mean, you, you can't argue that they were incredibly successful. I mean, you can make, we can, that's four times what what the you know, Green Lantern did, because you know, four to five times what Green Lantern did. And I, from, from their perspective, those were... You know, there, there's a reason why Warners and DC would like to replicate those movies, because they printed money. Incredibly popular. No, I, I, I understand, and I actually um, I, I agree with that. And my and ultimately, you know, here here is my my big gripe, not just with Nolan, but really with a lot of. Uh, just name a comic book movie, really, any of them. They don't seem they don't seem to really translate to comic book sales. And it kind of feels like, you know, if 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 what a fan wants to see is his favorite 
a comic book hero up on the big screen, to me, the, the, you know that there are going to be certain compromises that have to be made in order to get there. And to me, if the ultimate payoff is going to be more people are now reading Green Lantern than were before, I don't know. You can maybe mark that up as collateral damage or an acceptable – I don't know. But Yeah, but that doesn't seem to happen though. That's the, And that's, mean, my, that's my exact point. It doesn't. And and I don't know if if uh, I don't want to call it a fear that we have as comic book fans is that the is that the movies are going to supplant and change the comic books or the comic books are may go away either by pricing themselves out or changing so much to fit fit the mainstream what seems to be selling more you know if like if they created a comic based solely on what was happening in the movie universe, you know, if that started to sell more then you might see the traditional line fade away and it gets supplanted by that. And, uh, you know, us as, as, as comic book fans, I don't think we want to see that. We want to keep, we want to keep the stories that, that we like and we love, which is, I know why some people haven't really embraced the, the new 52. I particularly haven't. Um, and, you know, I actually stopped – I was priced out of a lot of the comics that I used to buy a long time ago. But here, here. I don't want to get – I don't want to get into, you oh. know, oh, oh, the prices were cheaper when I was younger. But, you know, I'm sorry. three ninety nine for a book is just, you know. For, well, and I think we've, we've kind of seen uh, the movies in some way surplant the characters. If you look at the character of Iron Man recently, he's taken a lot of uh, – he's taken a lot of uh, characteristics from the – yeah, um, Robert Downey Jr. iteration of him and put it into the books. Uh, from what I've read of Iron Man back from the classic era, he wasn't the sort of snarky character that Robert Downey Jr. portrays him in. So no. uh, it's it's coming to the fact that the films are actually now kind of, in a way, dictating the way the comics are. But still, even with that, the comics aren't seeing any increase in sales because of these films. So I, I'm wondering, you know, what the reasoning behind that is. Yeah, but I, but th- I, I think there's a reason why Marvel and DC are both part of humongous entertainment uh, mm-hmm. complexes now, you know, DC for longer. But and that's because comic books at their best, that the the DC and Marvel hope to break even with the comic books. The comic book publishing is not a viable money-making business. Just the numbers simply aren't there for it. And the, the scope of even a hit TV show versus a hit movie, it's, it's a thousand times the number of the, the audience for even the biggest hit uh, comic book. And I just, the, the, the scales are so big that the comic book companies need merchandising. They need Halloween costumes. They need right. drapes. They need pillows. They need sheets. They need T-shirts. See, no, and I, and, I, I and, and they some... need and they need trade paperbacks and digital, and they need movies. Well, and, and I some to, I, I somewhat disagree with that. They what I go away They'll go away without the movies. I think. Well, I, I I think it's actually kind of the opposite. I think that right now. If you look at what's going on in um, in Hollywood, and I'm not talking about just comic book movies. I'm talking – this is more as, as a general thing. How many movies are, are coming out right now that are based on a novel, based on a play, uh, based on a video game, or, or yeah, based on a comic book? I think the main re- – if I had to put a 
if I had to put a label on it, what I would say the main thing that's holding up the comic book industry right now, it sure as shit isn't sales. It's potential licensing opportunities. The only reason that the walking well, maybe not the may, the Walking Dead's actually a really crap example now that I think about it. But uh, the reason that you see just a plethora of Batman titles is because they know that this is a that this is a bankable licensing opportunity. Same thing with Superman. Same thing with other th- and Green Lantern at least was being groomed to be that, and I think that's kind of stopped dead in its tracks. But you know this. I, I, the comic book industry isn't self-sufficient, and I don't think anybody necessarily expects it to be. But what you know, it's just one of those realities of life that we're going to have to, we're all going to have to accept is the day will come when Hollywood loses interest and moves on, and then what? You know, hmm. I, I kind of wanted to go back to that because it was something that was brought up at the beginning of this. Is will it? Because here, here's how I see the situation. You know, B- Bill drew the analogy with the Western. And there came a time when, you know, as, as popular and as huge as Westerns were, that eventually other things surplanted it. And I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, the, the best analogy. Because I think what we're seeing here is the beginnings of an entirely potentially an entirely new genre of filmmaking the comic book movie as its own genre and what i'm concerned with at this point is that can this genre survive if you know the the studios that are putting these out expect every single one from avengers to to Ant-Man, to, you know, Superman, to Booster Gold, to every single character, no matter what their rank structure is. And let's face it, we all know that there is a rank structure here. You've got different tiers of characters. So can this new genre survive if these studios expect that the Blue Beetle movie is going to do a million bucks like the last Batman movie did. And that worries me because, you know, I don't think that there's certain properties, no matter how great they are, and they have their own fan base built in and all that, and they might be really solid movies, as we've already seen with, you know, you guys have used Green Lantern as a great example. Green Lantern, you know, great character. He's been around a long time. We all know him. We're all familiar with him. Yet the movie comes out, doesn't live up to the expectations So, you know, I'm hoping that what we can find here is that the the genre could settle into some sort of acceptable measure of, eh, that was okay, where they don't all, because let's face it, I mean, in the history of the comic book genre, you look at, like, say, like, the history of the Avengers as a comic book franchise, it's not blockbuster story after blockbuster story after blockbuster story. There were great lengthy runs of that title that were like, eh, you know, it came out every month, you know? Right. And you single out particular storylines or particular eras and go, wow, that was a great storyline. But then for the next, you know, 16 months, it was, eh, it was a title. And then all of a sudden this storyline happened that was really good. And then it settles back into a mediocrity. Sometimes they even would have runs that suck can the movies do the same thing? And I fear that they can't because Hollywood is so focused on every movie that comes out 
I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie review that focused on, is this movie any good? Instead, they focused on how much money is it making? How much money? I mean, that's what killed The Lone Ranger. I mean, that movie might be great. It might suck. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But my point is, I never saw a review that really talked about the movie. I saw reviews that talked about the numbers. And every one of them was saying, this movie's underperforming. It's just not going to do well. And what a great disappointment for Disney. And all these things that kept coming out. And I'm going, tell me if the movie is any good. If it's good, I'll help it out by going and watching it. If it stinks, I'll stay away. But you're not telling me that. You're telling me it's underperforming at the box office. Well, I, I don't care about the box office. Yeah, John Carter. It, yes, it, uh, John Carter was the same thing. It was it was a flop before it got released because it was a two hundred and some million dollar budget, and there mm-hmm. was no way it was. I mean, the, the story before the movie came out was how much money are they going to lose on this? Exactly. Well, if it's so going to make the, you feel any better, I do. the ha- reviews came out. If it's so, going to make you feel any better, actually, I do have a, a a theory on that. If you go back and. We kind of have to, just in your imagination, exempt all things Iron Man from what I'm about to say. If you look at the pre-Avengers, Marvel Studios' output, what you see is really a, a string of movies that were, eh. They really, um, contrary to anything you may have heard, um, uh, Incredible Hulk didn't knock him dead. Right. Captain America didn't knock him dead. Thor these movies, they, I, I think they basically did well enough to earn their money back, except for Iron Man. They all did well enough to earn their money back. But to say that, what was it, um, Thor was the runaway smash hit of the summer of 2011, nobody's out there making that claim. Right. Now, bear in mind, ultimately, Marvel Studios is a subsidiary of Marvel Entertainment. They operate on, on, a di- on, on different rules. They knew they were building up towards Avengers. And so there's a sense in which that's not strictly Hollywood in the way that most people understand it. Right. But I do think the precedent is at least there that we can we we can turn out a movie that basically did well enough to pay for itself, but let's face it, didn't exactly light anybody on fire, knowing that there's a larger end game that 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 we're building towards. And that is and in fact I think you could even argue there's a sense in which that mentality somewhat exists at Warner Brothers too because go back and look at Watchmen that movie the best the best way you can say it is that it fell short it fell short of expectations quite a bit but that didn't right. seem to hurt their their promotion of it they're pushing it on DVD and Blu-ray they were still willing to not just put together some cheap ass DVD and just slap it out there they actually spent time making different cuts of the movie and all that it's a product that they believed in i mean ultimately I know that people want to think that Hollywood is this this greed-centered money engine and all they care about is turning a profit and I'm sure that 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 is a that is a concern of theirs but at the end of the day that town is is run by filmmakers people who love hopefully love what they do and I think things like Watchmen which I personally loved I think it's kind of indicative that it's not necessarily all about the bottom line I don't know if that makes you feel any better but that's just something I've noticed over the years then you get into stuff like Superman Returns, which absolutely tanked, and, <clears throat> and obviously there was no sequel there. So take all this for whatever you think it's well, worth. See, see that's that's kind of that's my point. That's kind of what I'm thinking here is that now the bar has been set. You know, now we've had Avengers that have done you know has done a billion plus. We had Iron Man three that did a billion plus. If Thor two comes out, 
doesn't do a billion, what happens there? Or worse, the thing I keep thinking about, if the next thing that's attached to the current success of the Marvel films, you know, the, the Avengers franchise, we have one that comes out and just utterly bombs. What does that do to it? You know, are the days numbered based on that? I mean, at the moment, I think they're steamrolling right along. I think things are going really well, but I don't want their success to ultimately lead to their downfall. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The the more successful it is, the more it builds us up that it's just it's got to be bigger and better, bigger and better, bigger and better every time. And I think that mentality that's where the danger lies right there because if you're expecting bigger and better every single time and you don't get it does that start to suddenly you know now you're on the downslope and i i think iron man 3 is a really good example of that i enjoyed that movie on a second watch but my first reaction walking out of that movie was ooh ooh are they on the downslope already cuz after avengers iron man 3 just didn't do it for me I, I enjoy, like I say, I enjoyed it the second time I watched it. I was a little more prepared for it, and I, I enjoyed it as its own standalone thing. But you take it as the larger whole, as as a, the next piece in that that puzzle that has been these movies and how interlocked they are. Eh, I I didn't think it measured up, and I worry that again, can they afford? after Avengers too many of these movies that will come out and will be that kind of like eh it was alright because as you say yeah, yeah they weathered those pretty well prior but now I just I think we're in a whole different world now that the Avengers has come out and, and it did the money that it did and it and it showed this is what you can do so I don't I don't know I, I think the game really changed with Avengers. That that's my personal opinion is I think the game completely changed with the Avengers and I'm, you know, I was hoping at first that it had changed in a good way. Now I kind of worry that I don't know, did it really because one of the things that changed is the huge huge un- expectations that are now placed on these things above and beyond the expectations that were placed on them before. Right. If these industries are really expecting that every time they put out a comic movie, it's got to do a billion or it's, it's, you know, it's seen as a failure, then mm. yeah, they might not be around for, you know, 10 years from now. Who knows? I don't remember where I heard this idea from. It was on a podcast, maybe in a two, two freaks podcast or somewhere along the line. Someone hypothesized or proposed the idea that Marvel specifically should do some low to mid-budget movies. Yeah, yeah, whether that's that idea yeah, we, here, whether yeah. that's yeah, yeah, Luke Cage and you know the oh, that'd be uh, cool. he, heroes for hire. You wouldn't need that. Would not yeah, need to be a hundred. It would not need to be a hundred and forty million dollar extravaganza. See, I felt really stupid after we put out that episode because somebody great, immediately great pointed out that. Well, they do have that. They have the Marvel Knights movies. And I didn't even realize that that was an imprint at the time because I think that was a name we threw out there. Why don't they do something and call it Marvel Knights and have it be street-level movies? Well, that's actually existed for a number of years. I, I just wasn't aware of it. The uh, the Ghost Rider films, the Last Punisher movie, um, maybe Daredevil, I forget. Yeah, no, Daredevil is supposedly on the way. Yeah, there's there's a couple other ones that have actually been produced under the banner of Marvel Knights, and that's exactly what they are. 
they're they're like lower tier um, characters and franchises that they don't they didn't really expect that they would set the world on fire. So they produced them on kind of a lower level. They're more street level, and they were just kind of put out there to sink or swim. And so I think that's a great idea to do movies like that. Um, and yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about that because it kind of shoots a hole in my thing about you know can they afford to to put out you know some lower tier characters and and you know and accept and they, that they're not going to do a billion dollars and they don't have to not tie into the major films. You can have a Luke Cage film that has references to what went on in the Avengers that has oh yeah consequences of what happened in uh, the Battle of New York. It just doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a major, uh, uh, you know, a hundred million dollar film. You can you can get a you can get away with a good comic book movie, a good street level comic book movie, for a minimal price and make your money back. If if it has those ties to the big budget films, it could possibly even make more money back than the actual big budget films themselves. Well, well plus, you could, that's uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill. Well, you could do a whole string of them just like, you know, you could have the street level universe set in the Marvel universe. You could have a Luke Cage. You could have a Punisher. You could have a Heroes for Hire. And then it all builds up to where they're taking on the Kingpin or some other big crime. Right. You know, mm-hmm. the Magia, not the Mafia. Yeah. Well, the, plus, there's your potential to, to really do more story driven movies as well because if you're operating on a lower budget and you don't have the budget for CGI and huge special effects and explosions and blowing up a city and all that sort of thing then it, it, you're kind of going with like classic Star Trek syndrome, syndrome where you have to be more story focused and and have more talky talky because you can't afford all the explosions you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so then you get the best of both worlds you know every couple of years a new avengers movie that comes out and completely blows you away as a as a eye candy popcorn movie but then in between you've got these street level level movies that are actually telling you a story and i think you know that's a brilliant formula that's best of both worlds man well, I've even uh, advocated on a few occasions a new a new Avengers franchise because I'm in freaking love with that with that with just the new Avengers as a concept. I don't mm-hmm. know if you could get by with calling it the new Avengers if you make it like a new Avengers movie. You know, because let's face it, there are a lot of Joe Sixpack dumbasses out there that may not know that this isn't the Avengers. But whatever, basically take those characters. I guess minus Spider Man, but take those characters and. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, you you could have another three or four franchises just based off of that that don't directly oh, yeah. tie back in with um, the, I don't know, the Mighty Avengers, the regular ones, whatever. West Coast, something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great Lakes. <laughs> no, I, I joke, but no, I, I see exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you know, Avengers, uh, you know, the comics have done. See, that's the thing is that I think... Again, I think one of the things that could potentially happen based off this success is that they will continue to go back and mine the comics for ideas. And I'm not even talking necessarily comics and storylines or or rather characters and storylines, but just concepts going back and looking. What are the concepts that have worked over the years? And, you know, a couple of those concepts that have worked really well is spinning off into different franchises, having, you know, your team up book, that sort of thing. But also, like I said before, this idea of, you know, when you've got a, a title that has lasted 50 years, 
you know, there's naturally there are highs and lows, ups and downs. And if you can learn to adapt that formula to your movie making and not expect every single installment's going to do a billion bucks, then you could have an evergreen property, man. I mean, and look at Bond. Bond's a great example of that. And Bond's been putting out movies since the early 60s. And, you know, it's had some ups, it's had some downs, but it's out there. It's an evergreen property. You could have that with these Marvel properties forever. Every couple of years, you know, when, when you know, the, the actor that's playing such and such role gets a little long in the tooth, you swap him out. And, you know, they they fade in and out of each other's movies. They fade in and out of membership with the Avengers. And, I mean, come on. You know, these are properties that have literally survived you know, 50 years now on paper, they have just as much potential to survive that long on film handled in a very similar way. I think anyway, well, Trent wouldn't understand the concept, but us Whovians understand (laughs) that same idea. Mm -hmm. I'm staying out of this. (laughs) (laughs) I tease because I love (laughs) <laughs> well, and we we understand. I I don't have a problem with people not liking Doctor Who because I can I I have for a long time enjoyed the show, but when the popularity hit and you found that crap in every corner of every when you when you find Doctor Who on the shelves of your hot topic and you go into your Barnes and Noble and there's a Doctor Who section, it it kind of pisses me off for for so long just loving this you know character and now everyone's into it and i guess that's kind of the way at least i feel sometimes when i see people running around in uh you know with a green lantern shirt or a batman shirt just someone who someone who you know knows nothing about the character who's probably never picked up a comic book in their life see that's what i was talking to it that's what i was talking about before see i i figured i was not alone in that no i, I think I, uh, that I, bugs the shit out of me. well that i, I think, think that very thing kind of became a, a sort of a uh i don't know it was it just kind of became a, a, a point of contention on um tales of the jsa that geek elitism thing i didn't want to go i didn't want to necessarily go too far into that but i guess since we're on the subject yeah you know it actually it, it does kind of piss me off because you know I try not to get too personal on my show, but I mean, there came a point in my childhood where, you know, I just kind of put that stuff in the closet because, right. You know, I did not mm-hmm. win friends by, you know, putting on my Superman shirt or, or letting everyone know that I, well, I was trying at least to get into Spider-Man. Little did I know Marvel didn't want my business, but I was trying to get into Spider-Man and that didn't win friends or influence people. And so now here we are like 15, 20 years down the line and all of a sudden it's the cool thing to like Spider-Man or it's the cool thing to like the Avengers. And these are the same characters that I would get tormented about when I, when I would, I don't know, tormented, but it's just, there was a point when it was kind of not politically correct to be in this. And now all of a sudden there's a sense in which comic book licenses, if not necessarily comic books themselves are sort of propping up the entire fucking entertainment industry and it's like, where the fuck was this in, in my childhood, yeah. you know? Yeah. And no, I, I got mean, an analogy. I mean, I mean it's, we can't be upset. I mean, obviously, we, we can be. But I don't know, should <laughs> we be upset that 
comics weren't we were upset when they weren't popular, and now we're upset when they are popular. No, that's the thing. They're not popular. Let's at least get one of them right. Or the characters. Yeah. I, I, I no, understand. but that's the thing. They're not popular now. The fucking movies are. Look, you can go. it's not hard to, to go out right now and find some guy that's got a Star Trek shirt on, and I guarantee fucking tea, it's, it's, gonna be, it's, it's not going to be just one of the movie shirts. It's going to be the Abrams movies. And I'm sorry, but I, I almost feel like, you know what, motherfucker, you don't have the right to call yourself a Star Trek fan when you've got the guy from Heroes on the, uh, on the front of it. You know, you couldn't name any three, uh, any three cast members from the original series, and you're going to tell me what a big fan you are? Look, I hate to say that we should have some kind of a frickin' litmus test for this, but I, that, in some way, I kind of feel like that's where we are. Not to bite your I... head off, but... <laughs> anyway, Bill, you keep getting interrupted. I'm sorry. What's No, 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 no. I kind of have I have an analogy, and uh, I think it's going to emasculate all of us when I when I put it out there. In that, I think we all feel, and we've all said, you know, well, you know, I was a fan when it wasn't cool to be a fan, and I think yeah. we're kind of like we've we've been the doting wife in the background, and we've nurtured our hobby and our love, and you know, we've we've been there in the in in the lean years, and we've thick and stuck. Thin, yep thick and thin and now our property and our passion and our love has found a new love and and it has a new trophy wife and we've been divorced and we're left on the sideline <laughs> i mean that's kind of like the way we sound with a little bit of it here i mean and i i i don't know if i don't know that's that's all i can really think on, i mean i uh, uh, well, in your estimation, I, are we right or are we wrong morally to feel this? Oh way? no, no, because I feel that way. In, yeah. Well, yeah, because well, I mean, I know back in the day when you know I would trade comic books with friends and stuff, and other people be like, "Yeah, pff, comic books." Yeah. But the thing that we should feel upset if these people who are wearing the Superman T-shirts or wearing the Batman T-shirts aren't really getting interested in the comics. If the only thing that's keeping their interest is the big major blockbuster movies, then, then yeah, I think it's, it, it smacks of superficialism. It smacks of them not actually knowing the characters and but getting interested in the characters. But if that was, if, if that's not happening and I mean, just like you said earlier, Trentus, would the comics just go away? Would we even still ha have them if it wasn't for, the movies that are coming out and all the money they're making on the licensing because they're not selling what they used to and they probably I mean, never will again. Sure, we were there first, but there are a lot more of them. And I think See, I, th I think they have some rights. I don't I don't disagree that they have some rights and they have, you know, I'm not saying that these people don't enjoy what they're seeing, but they're not enjoying the same thing that we are. They're not enjoying the comics. And they don't have the history. They don't yeah. know you, you, bring up, you bring up an interesting point, Bill, that uh, that I was actually thinking about the other day as well. Say you're right, and the days of the comic book film are numbered, that eventually a fickle public will lose interest. Because it happens, you know. I would like to think that, played smartly, that this 50-year life that Marvel Comics has had, you know, on paper could be duplicated in in movies i'd love to think that but realistically the way that the the industry works and the way that the public works you know it it might have a good you know 10 years and then that's it you know you have diminishing returns and eventually people lose interest or you know you get the wrong 
uh, creative head comes into the project and just screws the whole thing up and it goes. I mean, can we, you know, at the height of Star Trek's popularity back in the, the 80s and 90s when Next Gen was on the air and DS9 was in the making and all, can we ever imagine that, you know, 20 years later it was all over? I, I couldn't have. I mean, Star Trek looked like it was going to live forever. And it didn't. Unfortunately, bad decisions were made and it went away. So, yeah, this could happen to the to the Marvel movie franchise, you know, the, the, the comic book movie industry. So what I was thinking about, though, was say, you know, all of a sudden it all goes away. Does it take Marvel Comics with it? And I think that's a legit concern. Because I know myself, I breathed, breathed a huge sigh of relief for Marvel Comics, the actual printed comics, when they were purchased by Disney. Because to me, that Absolutely. was a reprieve from death. You know, I looked at yes. it as, wow, you know, they have been saved. And I still feel that way because at the moment, Marvel Comics exists to be a creative idea machine to fuel future movies. Let's face it, that that's the truth of the situation. And they TV, can... and T-shirts, oh, and theme parks, and everything. Everything, exactly. But if tomorrow the ride was over, does it take the printed form with it? And I fear the answer to that could be yes. Because can they exist if suddenly the parent company goes, well, guys, you know, it was a fun ride, but you just aren't doing it for us anymore in the numbers. And we can't, you know, we I, I don't know. Well, but I don't I, think I, that, that necessarily. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, was gonna say, I don't think that that would necessarily be the end of the comic book m- movies, though. I think the properties would still be there. In the same way that there hasn't been a new Sherlock Holmes story penned in 70 years, but we still keep getting versions of it because people, the movies keep going back, uh, back to that, back to that well. And in, in some senses, you can look at the analogy to books in that I think there have been so many great successes in comic book movies that they will, they will always exist Maybe only it might be what you're saying, Scott. But I think they'll always exist as those pools for potential movies in the same way that books always will. I think there have been enough big comic book hits. Now, whether they keep churning out new ones or not, no, that's that's less certain in 15 years. Well, and there's right. also a sense in which, you know, how much responsibility does Hollywood really have to prop up a completely separate industry? I mean, when you come right down to it, comic books are – this is publishing. It's not the the movie division, Warner Brothers, the movie division. It's not their job to keep DC Comics in business. Ultimately, those are business decisions that the comic book industry has to work out for itself. And I happen to think, you know, if you don't have if, – if you don't have comics – when I was growing up, you couldn't you couldn't throw a stick without knocking over a Hey Kids comic spinner rack, and those days are gone. You know, you don't go to a gas station anymore to buy to buy comics or a cigar shop or or, or wherever it is that people supermarkets wherever it is that comics used to be available. That's all dried up, and you know that's it's really not the movie industry's 
responsibility to correct that sooner or later. If if the comic book industry wants to survive, those are things that it's going to have to do on its own. And I guess to tie it back to Scott's point of if there's any company out there that's capable of doing it, I mean, Disney has all kinds of inroads into retail markets and things. There's no – hell, the last time I was in Toys R Us, I was starting to see a, a, a return. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it was mostly Marvel titles there. But I was actually starting to see a, a little comic rack. It was just a small mm-hmm. display. It wasn't much. But it's more than I've seen in Toys R Us, and I don't even know how long. Yeah, in the same way, the the comic book publishers don't have a responsibility – to maintain retailers, if they can find other, you know, comic shops, that I, th- I, th- I think the era of the specific comic shop will end up being a pretty small blip in the era of comic book publishing. You know, the specialty store era will be a distinct era. Well, I we, ha- we we haven't had it forever, uh, as you've said, and I don't think it'll last forever. And and maybe that'll be good for the broadening of the audience. If we return back to the way the comics were bought when we were all buying them as youngins. Well, I've seen my local shop and I've got a strong relationship with them. I've been with them for over 10 years and I've, I've actually helped them move from location to location every time they do it. And now they're actually in the local mall and they have a pretty big store, but they, I've seen them change from in the past the bulk of everything they had was comics. But little by little, now it's, you know, for back issues, it's really like maybe 25% of the store or less. And, and then you have uh, a good selection of pricey wall books. And then you have the new books. But then the rest of the store is all T-shirts, um, Specialty items, statues. Right. I mean, that's where they're they're having to make their money too in the merchandising because they can't just do it alone on comics anymore because it just it just doesn't sell. And I've brought everything to a halt. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that. It's just I've been running my mouth this whole time. I want to give everyone else uh, more of an opportunity than I have so far. So that's <laughs> that's that. I don't think it's a coincidence that DC is moving out of New York, the publishing capital of the world, to California, the movie capital of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. recognizing the fact that their future is on is on film and TV, and not in not certainly not in paper. And I think I think DC can do that because I think their characters, especially their their main characters of Batman and Superman, are so iconic. That they are almost to the level of, you know, the the sort of Greek myths. They're the American versions of that, and those characters, I would think, would be remembered far beyond their time. Yeah, people I mean, that, may not people may not be able to remember a Spider-Man or an Iron Man or, well, not I was going to say a Thor, but that's another mythology. But they they may not be able to remember those characters as well as they would. You know the superheroes of Superman and or Superman and Spider-Man. So I think they're hinging their bets on movie licensing being the big money-making thing for these characters, for these DC comic characters. Again, in in terms of scope, scale. I mean, I would imagine that there are more people walking around the U.S. who have seen the the Super Friends than have picked up a cartoon, than have picked up a comic book. 
Right. I mean, there are more people who know. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, if you were 10 years old and watched the Super Friends every Saturday morning that it was on and never read a comic book, are you a fan of Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman? I, I think so. I think so. That was something I, I was going to bring up earlier, too, is that, you know, I, I get the impression that, that some of us feel like this is a new idea or a new concept of these franchises being kept on life support to, uh, you know, to feed merchandising. And I don't think that's a new concept at all. I think that the merchandising has largely kept these characters around as long as they have been around. I mean, am I wrong in, in, in assuming or, or believing that I've heard before that there have been long stretches of the history of both Marvel and DC where it was the merchandising of the characters that was actually making more money than the comics ever did? I, I'm Absolutely. pretty sure that's Absolutely. true in the history of Superman. Certainly in terms of Warner Brothers, you know, the, the right. DC, you know, yeah. I mean, you can just look at their financial statements, you know, dig into that and see that merchandising in general is a huge proportion of what they do as a business arguably right. bigger even than box office yeah it might be it would not surprise me yeah it wouldn't surprise me either well um i've got just kind of at this point scatters and uh, scattered notes and all of that but i just a couple of points i just wanted to go ahead and just throw out there you guys can do do what it do what you like with all of this um one of the things that we kind of touched upon just a while ago but i don't there's a it's debatable how much we actually really discussed it but we did touch upon it um people mentioned someone one of you I'm, it might have been uh it might have been uh the professor i forget but one of you mentioned the influence that external media had begun exercising over comics and the example that I was going to use as, as sort of my breaking point was going to be the minute that the Crystal Fortress of Solitude from the Donner Superman films began getting incorporated with the uh, into the comic books. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that happened at the exact time that a movie had come out in theaters that relied upon that exact same type of aesthetic. And what I think the end game of all of that was that for the first time, something that had been strictly a movie thing that really wasn't found anywhere, either in the pre-crisis or post-crisis eras, had come to be a prominent part of the Superman comic book lore. And I think that played a very key role in turning off a lot of longtime fans that felt like, you know, for whatever reason, that was fine in the movies. Didn't exactly serve the comics, though. And if it, had, if it was just me... I could chalk it up to me just being cranky. I'm kind of a cranky person to begin with anyway. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that was actually Sean who, who made that point. Yeah, but oh, Sean. In, 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 but in terms, of, I mean, in terms of this, I think if you go back to Superman, things I've learned from Golden Age Superman and the Thrilling Adventures of Superman podcasts <laughs> are that there were, there were key elements of the Superman mythology – that were introduced and thoroughly developed on the radio show. Yes. And then incorporated into the comic books. And I think that counts, Jimmy Olsen and various other things. Well, that's that, where Kryptonite came from, too, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. Well, I, so, look, I know that so, so to say that things 
are only legitimate if they come directly from the comic books. Eh, yeah, I, I, I think you take a good idea, you know, where you take it. And maybe your example, Trent, was, was a cynical one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll certainly grant you that. But isn't this in the way the the publishers trying to grab some of the people who may have seen the movie to hopefully drag them in to uh, Ab- reading the comics? Absolutely. The, the, the television and, and movie audiences that are you know discovering these characters are always, always going to be vastly larger than the comic book audience. Even in, in comics heyday, when Superman had, what was it, a million readers a month or something like that, that's still a drop in the bucket to your average movie attendance. You know, so when Superman was in cartoons or in serials or, you know, the feature films, that audience vastly, vastly larger than the the largest audience that Superman ever experienced in comics or in print. So I, I think it's just natural. I mean, I myself have chafed against that all my comic collecting life of the idea of bringing things from other media interpretations and then, you know, changing the comics to, to reflect that it irritates the hell out of me, but I have had it thrown in my face a number of times that, well, you know, Superman, you know, all these things that you love about the character, a lot of these things came from other media and didn't originate in the comics. And yeah, you kind of have to just, after a time, grudgingly accept that. And and See, I that's the I thing. Have. I don't accept it. I mean, I know that people like to say that flying was invented uh, specifically. And I know I'm I'm there, there's a larger point that was being made there, and I'm kind of struggling over quibbling over the um the fine details of it, but. It all kind of builds up to something, you know. I don't think flying originated in, in in the radio show. I think if you go back and read Golden Age comics, it's kind of ambiguous. You know, is Superman leaping or is he flying? Right. But it, it, that's up for grabs. Um, Kryptonite. Well, K metal from Krypton. That story it wasn't published, but that pre-existed the the radio show. And in fact, that's where the concept of Kryptonite for the radio show. That's where that came from. So even then. Yeah, sure, the first appearance of it technically was in external media, but it still came from, I think, Jerry Siegel himself, in fact. And let, so, let me ask you something. Where where did you get into Superman, uh, the comic book? Where, was, was it in the burn stuff? Oh, yeah, I can even tell you which issue it was. So let me ask you another question then, because I, I suspect you and I probably have the same beef, and this took me a while to figure it out, why I was so irritated by when all that Crystal Fortress shit and the bearded Jarrell and all that started to pop up, it took me a while to figure out why am I so irritated with this? And I finally narrowed it down mm-hmm. is that once Superman was rebooted after crisis on infinite earths, right? We were, and you and I just recently discussed this. Superman was given for the first time, a definitive origin and a definitive starting point this is where he starts these are the beginning of his adventures and we're going to follow this story starting here and it was really the first time that that was ever done boom this is the beginning of this character plus dc comics made us a promise we you know we existed for 50 years we had never really told a cohesive story that, that where all the pieces fit together to make one picture puzzle. 
so we're going to do this house cleaning exercise with crisis. And from here forward, we're all on the same page and we're marching to the same, you know, be to the same drum and it's going to be one story. And for a lot of years it was, or at least it appeared to be, but then, you know, 20 years out or so, it just, something went wrong somewhere. And so they decided to start tinkering with things. And one of the big things that they tinkered with to the detriment of the character, in my opinion, was Superman. Because so many people just couldn't let go of the pre-crisis stuff and also held a personal grudge with John Byrne for what he did to that character or what they perceived that he did with that was so awful. Guys like Mark Wade and some of these other writers. And so the character ended up getting polluted. And at the time, I, I didn't understand why I was so angry with what they were doing. But now I see what it was, was that I bought into the the, the promise that was made. I brought, bought into the fact that this is Superman. This is where he starts from. And this is where it's always going to be. And they're not going to tinker with him anymore. And when they started to, and all these new elements start popping in, and they didn't just fully cop to, you know, the old one ended and this is a new one. And they, they kind of tried to sell us on this bullshit for like, what was it, like three years of, yeah. oh, no, 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 no. This is still the same guy that you've been reading all along. And then eventually it became very clear, no, it's not. And you've been selling me a false bill of goods. That That's where I, that's where they lost me right there. And uh, so I'm, Am I wrong in thinking that we have similar stories with this? It's very similar. Um, and you know, to be, it's one of those things that if just to hear to hear you describe it now, I think it's one of those things where we 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 look quite foolish. But number one, they were hiding it so well. And I guess the other thing is, this sort of thing I think is it was completely freaking unprecedented in comics up to that point. Mm-hmm. Nothing like this had ever happened before. And so we, when this big giant corporation made us this promise, there was, there was no precedent for it. And so we, we accepted it. The idea of them making a promise like this and then, and then reneging on it at you know, 20, 30, however many years down the line, that had never been done before. We weren't, right. I don't think we were foolish to believe them. They were foolish I, to break I, their word. I will object to the word foolish only in the aspect of, hey, you know, I was a kid. You know, when crisis happened, I was 17. So I was a kid. I bought into it. When And plus, you know, not to try to get on some sort of moral high horse or something, but damn it, when somebody looks me in the eye and makes me a promise and shakes my hand, I tend to take them at their word. And DC said, we're going to get our shit straight. And they, they went through this epic, you know, universe changing event for their properties and sorted the thing out. And it seemed again, like they were all working together to, to make a cohesive whole. And those first years, I'm not sure how long it lasted. I'd like to think that it was this epic golden age that lasted a full decade, but I don't even think it was. I I think by the mid nineties or so, I think that the cracks were starting to show, but back at the time it was happening, you know, again, you know, being a, a young man, to me, it felt very cohesive, like they really were all on the same page and it was magically all working out. 
And so I bought into it. And, you know, so I, I don't, I, I really don't think foolish is the is the right word. You well, know, right, they, well, right, they, but I'm saying you could, considering the, the plethora of retcons and undoings and redo and all the stuff that's gone on today, if they mm-hmm. make, if they were to make that kind of a promise today, we are all well justified in laughing in their face. But, you know. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, yeah, it's once, just, and, yeah, and yeah. It, it, you could look, we might look sort of foolish now in the modern context for believing them back then because all anyone has to compare to now is a, a, a day and age in which crisis on infinite earths is completely obsolete. And if, if you were to get into comics today, that's the reality that you're facing. And so to look back at some previous generation and think, what, you idiots believed them when they told you this? Well, yeah, we did. And the reason for that was because nothing like this had ever been done before. To you, no this place. is business as usual. To us, yeah. this was our reality, and I, you know, but it's just it's one of those things. Maybe it's just a generational difference. I didn't mean it that in a strictly derogatory way. What I meant was that someone looking at the situation now may they may very well have very, not very much sympathy for us because how are you dumb enough to believe someone like this? Well, we had yeah, our no, reasons. I, yeah, no. I, when you put it that way, no, I, I completely agree with you because yeah, they don't they don't have any context for that because for them. You know, reboots and, and giant multiverse altering events and all the, you know, tinkering and retcons. That, that's business as usual. That's comics these days. But back then, it was a brand new concept. So, yeah, I will cop to completely buying into it. I th- and, but I think they themselves believed what they said. It wasn't until, you know, I mean, 20 years a long time. And there were a lot of regime changes. There were a lot of creative changes. And right from the beginning, not everybody that was involved was happy with the situation. So once editorial ships started to change and things like that, and and some of these people that had an axe to grind got a little more power and a little more ability to actually go back and undo the things that had been done that they weren't happy with, that's when the cracks really started to show. And I think that's a shame because I think – we are very much in an era of comics where you know, you've made this point recently yourself, where ego has become more important than the story, than the credibility and the, and the survivability of a character of a franchise. And I, that sucks. I, I think that that's a horrible way to do business when you can't check yourself at the door and your friggin' ego has become more important than the viability of the franchise that you've been allowed to work on. Something that predates you and your grandfather. You know, I, I just think that's wrong. I, 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 I think to use your analogy, Scott, of the, of the, you know, look me in the eye and make me a promise and, and shake my hand. I think that DC never thought that you would keep your end of the bargain. And, and in other words, hmm. They were expecting what had always happened, which was comic book readership turned over every four or five years. Right. I think they never thought that the guys that they were selling to in 1986 would be talking on a stupid podcast 27 years later about it. They would have right. expected us to not be fans anymore. You know, I, 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 they, I, I don't think they saw it coming to, to sort of be in their defense well and that's um, the thing I, I, if that that, was the, I, I, I don't think they ever expected it to 
have to last 15 or 20 years. Well, and that's the thing. If they had attempted a reboot in 1991, I would believe that. And I'm not saying this to to insult you. I I hope you don't take this as an insult. But um, they didn't attempt this in in 1991 or 1992. This all came about in 2006 when they were very well aware of the fact that the the readership that they've had for all these years is the readership that they're going to have probably – Five ten years from now, and and right. this should not have been a surprise to them. And I, it I, wasn't, and that's why they pulled the sneaky shit that they pulled because they right. knew that people were going to get upset. They knew full well that some of the things that they were preparing to do were going to piss a lot of their you know vast portions of their readership right off. And that's why I think they were incredibly sneaky and underhanded about it. And it wasn't until it really started to show hey, you know, this isn't the same continuity that they slowly started, okay, yeah, you know, we, we cop to it. I mean, don't you think? That's how it felt at the time. And it's it, it's interesting that Marvel sort of never really got themselves into that because they sort of always had this five-year timeline sort of thing. You know, they always had Tony Stark in a different war. Or they had right. Reed Richards in a different war. Like somehow Marvel readers, somehow Marvel trained their readers to understand that or to expect that. Yeah, and somehow always- DC, the the concept of continuity and and consistency and became a lot more important to DC readers and the Marvel readers and why that is and how that happened and. There's certainly goods and bads of that. I think DC ended up painting themselves into quite a corner. Well, and, but I that's the thing. I mean, that's the ultimate Monday morning. I mean, look, Marvel started, and you could basically use as the beginning of the Marvel universe Fantastic Four number one. Right. That's mm-hmm. the, the that's the seed from which everything else grows. And there's there really was no pre or post crisis. There really was no counterpart for that on DC side. You know, there is, I mean, you know, what is the beginning of the Silver Age Superman? Well, that's kind of eye of the beholder. I mean, I think most people would agree it's sometime in 1959 or 1960, but really, when was that? Marvel has an advantage in that all of their characters had a, well, most of their characters had a pretty clear uh, beginning point that DC, just by virtue of existing longer, and they have existed, um, Marvel Comics, You've not been around for 75 years, newsflash. <laughs> and um, it's it's just something that it, it's to compare one to the other is sort of unfair to to DC because they don't there is no there's no common starting point. And this is one of the things about Crisis on Infinite Earths that just kind of makes me wish that it had never happened in, in the first place is because. Oh, you wound me, man. You wound uh, me. I'm sorry. Well, I, mean, I mean, this. look, hear me out. Hear me out. I mean that only from the point of view of. They had a chance to to give us our Fantastic Four number one, whether it was Man of Steel number one or or whatever else. But there there is no really there, there was no common starting point for for everything that. Do we even have Sean on on the phone anymore? Because it's been so long since he said anything. No, I'm here. Okay, I've been muted because I've got kids downstairs. They're being little brats. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm not trying to call you out. Beat it's them. Just, I don't want you to feel like <laughs> it <laughs> well, anyway, will happen. The point is, they, uh, they're, they're pre or post crisis. There really wasn't a, a, a Fantastic Four number one, and it felt like after Crisis and on, on Infinite Earths. And maybe I'm the one who's being a Monday morning quarterback here, but 
you have the uh, just this golden opportunity to do it. And I don't know, maybe we're getting too far off topic at this point, but it just it kind of feels like. Well, anyway, there. Anyway. So, so if after Crisis they had done a movie. Hey, speaking of movies. Well, wait, was that? Wait, wait, was that good? Was that good? Did, did actually, that get us back on track? <laughs> I'm sorry, I was muted so I could type here. That's that's why I didn't follow up. But if you don't mind, uh, Trent, I, I, you know, I, I I don't want to steer us way off topic, but I was intrigued by you know you had sent me a list of possible topics for tonight, and it's funny because I think we've actually incorporated a number of those topics <laughs> into truth. this discussion, but. One of the ones that was on your list, uh, I'm probably going to badly misquote it, but it was something to the effect of, did Crisis on Infinite Earths do more harm than good, or uh, something like that, right? Right. And, wow, you know, I looked at that and I was like, is that a subject I even want to get into? Because I've made no bones about the fact that I hold Crisis on Infinite Earths very near and dear to my heart. As I'm very fond of saying, and one of these days, damn it, I'm going to get a t-shirt, Crisis on Infinite Earths is my watchman. I, I hold that up as the pinnacle of comics. I think that is the single greatest comic book story that's ever been told was Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I'm that's no hyperbole. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. But... Not long ago, you know, right before we went on our, our in, unintended, incredibly ridiculous hiatus with Tales of the Justice Society of America, Chris, uh, yeah, not Chris Honeywell, Michael Bailey and I uh, were talking a lot about crisis. And one of the things that I came to a very, very harsh realization of was that if I had my druthers and it was up to me and I could make the decision and I you could go back in time and does crisis happen or doesn't it happen much as i love that story and and i'd I'd hate to ever be without it if i had it all to do over again i i don't think i would have let it happen because it's not i don't blame crisis for what happened afterwards because like i said dc made a promise and they reneged on it after a, a length of time and you can debate that all you want but that's how i feel about it But I don't blame Crisis for anything. I don't blame Crisis for, you know, for the summer event thing that has happened and all the crappy ones that we got, like Millennium and all the really, really shit ones that happened. Because Crisis itself worked and it was a great story. It's, you know, anytime you have something that's awesome and you just imitate it ad infinitum, eventually you wind up with crap, right? I mean, we've seen this over and over again. Right. But also, we lost a lot with Crisis, which took me till now to really realize what we lost when Crisis happened. I, I think the loss of Earth 2 yeah. and all of that really didn't hit me, honestly, until it was when Mike Bailey and I sat down to really examine the world that had been you know, the pre-Crisis DC universe. And I always missed it without consciously realizing, well, stupid, it was crisis that did away with that. You know what I mean? Right. And and so, yeah, it, it pains me to admit it. But, yeah, if I had it all to do over again, like it was my decision anyway, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go that route because I think too much was lost. And, of course, it paved the way 
for that dark and gritty period, which, again, in retrospect, I think ultimately did more harm than good to comics because it, it just changed the the face of comics too much, in my opinion. And in a lot of ways, I don't think comics, especially DC, I don't think they've ever quite recovered from that. Well, the Legion of Superheroes sure hasn't. Um, yeah. You know, look, I was... I was barely in school when Crisis on Infinite Earths went down, so maybe of all people, I don't have a right to an opinion. But sure you do. It just kind of feels like DC, and this is just this is just my opinion. If any of you want to uh, disown me as a friend after I say this, well, I don't agree with you, but I'll understand. Um, it kind of felt like DC lost its identity. After after Crisis on on Infinite Earths, I've made it kind of my mission over the past several years to not just read the comics of my youth and collect those and savor those and love those, find my comic book joy, as they would say on Views from the Long Box, but right. try to understand more about Superman, my favorite character in all of fiction. Superman is top dog. I want to understand as much about his publishing history as I possibly can. And to me, the only way you're going to get there is if you read the damn comics. Right. And so I've gone through the Silver Age. I've gone through the Bronze Age. I haven't really touched too much on the Golden Age because one must prioritize. But my point in all of this is that one of the things I've – and maybe this was apparent to everybody but me, and I'm just – I was just stupid about it. But it, it took reading – things like imaginary stories and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane and stuff like that to realize Marvel Comics basically is pseudo-realistic science fiction. Right. Where, whereas DC had been, I guess you could say, a, a kind of a very heavy science fairy tale. It's a fantasy. Yeah. It's a science fairy tale. And what ended up happening was that necessarily had to change after uh, after Crisis on, on Infinite Earths. And you still see the fingerprints of it and things like, um, I'm trying to think, uh, uh, characters like Wonder Woman, just by nature of who she is, the fact that they have so many fictional cities, all of that stuff. So I guess the the trappings of of what you associate with a lot of fairy tales and fantasies and, and things like that, those are still there, but... It kind of felt like starting from about the time of Crisis on, Inf on Infinite Earths and then going forward, DC try. I, I hate to use the word Marvelize because to me that has a very specific meaning, but they kind of forsook their the very thing that gave them a brand identity in the market. And I kind of have to hang a lot of that on not so much Crisis on Infinite Earths as a story, but Crisis on Infinite Earths legacy. Yes, well, I, I know exactly what you mean because they lost a lot of innocence because you, you have to remember at that time, DC was taking a bath in sales when compared to Marvel because next to Marvel, they look like a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. You know, their, their stories and their characters were rather simplistic. They were aiming at the same old audience that had always been their bread and butter. And for a large degree, that audience didn't exist anymore. Children weren't necessarily the bread and butter of comics at that time. 
And so they were start, they were wanted to appeal to a different audience, an older audience, a, you know, a, a more mature audience, as it were, like the Mar- you know, they wanted a, a piece of that pie that Marvel had, you know, with with young men and college students and that sort of thing. But the, the material they were putting out wasn't appealing to those people because it was still largely kiddie fair. Mm-hmm. And so they published Crisis, which I don't think of Crisis as a dark story. But on the other hand, what's darker than the end of the world? And, <laughs> you know, so that's what that story was. It's the ultimate end of the world story. That's one of the reasons I love that story so much. And after that event, and you're picking up the pieces, and you're you're basically, you know, when it came to certain characters, Superman most notably, mm-hmm. you're kind of restarting again. They purposely, I believe, um, I'm not sure how to word it, not dirtied it up. Yeah, kind of marvelized, but matured. It's like all of a sudden we're we're starting over again, but we're at we're at that next level. We're at, we're we're going to be a little more mature now. We're going to give our heroes problems and dilemmas, and because up to that point, that's not really who, who Superman was. Superman didn't really ever bitch about his problems and having to pay the bills and Peter Parker type of stuff. Suddenly, he he was because that was just what became to be expected of our heroes. That you know, even Superman has problems. You know, right. And so a, a, a level of innocence was lost. And at the time, I loved that. And I still do, but I can clearly see where, you know, there, there is that delineating line right there. And so the two companies kind of became a, a, a lot more alike, at least for a time, than maybe they necessarily should be. And, the, and you know, the lines were grayed between the two of them. And again, I, I'm not sure that DC has ever really recovered from that. As a matter of fact, I think with the movies they're putting out these days, you know, the the Batman and, and Man of Steel, that they've kind of taken that to the ultimate extension, I think, to the detriment of those characters. Because especially Superman, who, who wants to see a dark Superman? I, I guess there are people that do. The movie made money, but that's the last thing I ever want to see is dark Superman. And as I've, I'm very fond of saying, and some people will say bitching about, I don't want to see a Superman I can't take the kids to. You know, I, that just, I don't know. But that's a, that's the balancing act that's really tough to pull off. How do you keep a character relevant which is something that you know that's that buzzword that dc keeps you know we want them relevant we want them relevant well how do you keep a character relevant and appealing to children without making it kitty fair to where you know the the dads aren't going to want to go see it you know the fa- the rest of the family has no interest i don't know i mean i, I wouldn't want to be in charge of that I, you know but well it just seems a shame when what used to be the core audience is now completely disenfranchised because you're aiming at, you know, that, that audience that does want it dark and gritty. I don't, you know, right. I don't now know. We, we talked about in movies, we talked about Bond and, and not only has Bond obviously changed actors over the years, but it really has changed feels and changed some things about the atmosphere of that character. And maybe it's because it's an adult character. 
there's mm -hmm. more opportunities there, you know, but you know, the current Bond is not the suave, tuxedo-wearing, sophisticated guy. He's a much tougher, darker, brooding guy that speaks to a different generation. And, right. You know, but Superman, you really can't do that. Um, you know, and, and part of it is the family-friendly nature of it. You know, you're starting from a different point. There's, there's some guardrails on, on how far you can go. But, you know... But other characters sort of have been able to, or have been allowed to, right. change, change and mature over the years, and I think that is part of the part of the downside that DC faces with having such iconic characters. You know, they there was no risk in changing up Iron Man for the movies because Iron Man wasn't much, right? You know, but. But See, Superman, I, it's, yeah, it's 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 just so much trickier with Superman. It is. Uh, yeah, it really is very much so, because, you know, I, I took a lot of criticism for my stance on Superman in relation to this new Man of Steel movie that came out. And I, I remember one of my friends in particular really taking me to task over the fact of, you know, well, you didn't get this upset about, you know, the cosmetic changes to, say, Captain America, for example, in his movie or Thor in his movie. You know, what's the big deal with Superman? Well, because it's Superman, damn it. That's why I got so upset about it, because Superman, it, it bugs me when I hear comic book fans that seem to consider Superman just another one of the characters. He's not. He's Superman. He exists in a completely different level than all the other characters. So if they want to leave the wings off of Captain America's helmet, I can live with that. If they want to change Thor up and make him bearded or change, you know, make cosmetic changes to his outfit or whatever, I can live with that. But there's certain characters, and Superman's definitely one of them, that when you do the smallest little cosmetic change like that, there are people that are going to get upset. I'm one of those people because, again, he, he exists at a completely different level. He was – I don't know if this is, is still considered to be true or not, but I remember years ago there was a book, and it might be Superman from the 30s to the 70s. I forget, but it, it, it's some book that's out there that I remember reading as a kid – Basically, the book starts out by saying this is a book about one of the five most recognizable characters in the world. And they considered it was Superman, Mickey Mouse, Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, and Robin Hood, I think. So like I say, I don't know if that's still considered to be the thing because, I mean, a lot of kids these days I don't think would have an idea who like Robin Hood or Tarzan are. But it was just the idea that, wow, you know. Superman's in this group that these other guys aren't in. I'd argue maybe like Spider-Man might be in that group today. I think he's pretty hugely known worldwide, you know? Right. And again, with, with the movie that they put, you know, the amazing Spider-Man that they put out, there were a lot of people fussing about that movie. And, well, that's not Spider-Man. Look at the outfit he's wearing. So... I feel justified in complaining about when Superman suddenly altered and and looking like he looked, you know, in that movie or like he looks in the comics these days because I just I question those kind of choices. Why are you doing that? Is it, are you purposely trying to distance this from what came before to like 
show that, well, we're, you know, we're going a whole new different direction. Well, is that a smart idea? You, you know, you, you have this property that you're the steward of that has been around for 75 years. Why are you starting to tinker with it? What is this need to feel relevant all the time? I mean, there's certain things that exist out there to, to exist, to be what they are, you know, to be good, you know, wholesome family entertainment. I, I think with Superman, I think he's a victim a lot of times of, well, this has got to turn us a profit. It's got to turn us a profit. So, and, you know, we're going to keep toying with it until it, it, it's relevant and turns a profit again. Well, I don't know that I, I believe in that, you know? I mean, I know they're a business. They got to make money. But at the same rate, you know, are, are the T-shirt sales not enough? You know, is, is the occasional movie or, or animated series and action figure and all this other stuff that they put out that, that has a, an S symbol on it? Is that not enough? I've got a theory. and um, But before I share it, uh, Sean, uh, how are you doing on time? I've got to I've got to head out. I've got a couple of kids downstairs. They're acting crazy, so I'm going to go and use the duct tape. But uh, guys, <laughs> it's been it's been really fun talking about this, and I appreciate you having me on, Trentus. And uh, well, I'm glad uh, you could make it. Then thank you. You're very welcome. I will talk to you guys later. Sounds great. Take care, Sean. Bye. See you, Sean. Um, I've actually got a, a theory on this, and I I know I blame a lot of things on a. Uh, the lawsuit, but my opinion, this is my God's honest opinion, that affected so many things. It scared the crap out of Warner Brothers and DC on so many levels. What I think is going on is it was handed down from on high. Somebody at DC Entertainment has said that the basic look of Superman has got to change uh, for purposes of defending ourselves in this lawsuit and basically so that they could argue that the character that they publish now isn't the character that they bought from Siegel and Schuster, right? Ultimately that's the, that was the legal aim that they were pursuing. I, I think. I that. And so if he looks the exact same more or less as the character that they bought from Siegel and Schuster, it's harder to make that argument. Whereas if right. at a glance he looks different you now all of a sudden have this handy-dandy little visual aid that, that helps sell at least the illusion. I'm not, I'm not convinced it was an illusion. I don't want to get into the lawsuit except to say that if that's the argument that you're going to attempt to make, it's easier to make that argument once you've, once you've established Superman looking different. And no one's ever going to convince me that it's a coincidence that in Smallville Season 11, Man of Steel, and in the New 52 – Superman, all of these things kind of hit at, at close to the same time. Oh, right. and coincidentally, Superman, none of these retain the uh, the uh, the classic uniform. Right? I don't even like calling it a costume, but uh, the classic outfit, the traditional uniform that Superman's always had. I don't think it's a it's at all a coincidence that it changed across everything that DC publishes all at once. the The only thing that the jury is still out on is Earth One. We don't know what's going to happen there or, for that matter, that anything will happen because, you know, just the nature of production of that, it maybe it, it, it managed to skip the lawsuit. Who knows? But if hmm. I had to put – that's, that's my best theory on why exactly it all changed because 
it's otherwise you, otherwise you're you're kind of left trying to figure out why it is that you know all of these things change simultaneously if there wasn't some sort of guiding corporate decision that was being made but um maybe i'm wrong i don't know no one knows what one can't go behind closed doors with these things but that's just what i think makes sense to me definitely i could go on all night uh, all night with this but <laughs> Honestly, I don't think you guys can, but I want to get Bill back. I mean, we couldn't even get Sean uh, basically to remind everyone where he can be found, and I have to figure something out on that. But I at least want Bill, number one, I don't think he's really said a whole lot during this whole conversation, and I'd at least like him, like him to say where, where it is that he could be found. Well, I hope I haven't bogarted this conversation, because I, I certainly didn't mean to. Well, if, I think that's something you and I both might be guilty of. I feel actually very bad for Sean and, uh, and the uh, professor, but... No, I'm fine. I, I've I've enjoyed it. Is he back? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott though was just talking about having a sort of a roundtable wrap up, and so um, and then after that we could b- pretty much call it a night. And so does that sound does that sound all right with you? Sure. All sure. right. Uh, and since I feel like you know I've constantly stepped on your toes all night, would you like to would you like to uh, uh, start it off? Uh, no, no. You guys can start. I'll jump in. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Then, uh, Scott, uh, is your idea? I'm going to throw you under the bus. Go for it. All right. Well, I just want to say, you know, I, the last thing I want to be perceived at, uh, perceived as in this discussion is being negative. You know, going back all the way back to the beginning to the actual topic of this um, about the movies and the comic book movies. I, I myself, I feel like I'm incredibly optimistic about this. I've really been enjoying what Marvel's putting out. I do wish that DC would get their act together and, and start putting out some movies that, you know, appeal to me as a very long time, uh, DC fan. I still consider myself a a DC boy at heart. You know, I, I love my Marvel stuff, but DC's where my heart is. So it really does pain me that I don't enjoy what they're putting out. I don't enjoy their live action stuff. And, their, their animated stuff has been kind of hit and miss with me. Most God, of it's pretty yes. good, but it does kill me that they can't seem to draw on any story, you know, that that's not within like the past five years. I really wish that they would go back and really dig into all of their history. You know, the 75 year history uh, of this company and find some stuff that they can put out there as quality animated features and, and not just this, you know, recent dark stuff that they've been doing. I I guess that's what sells and that's what appeals, but man, it just seems like there's so many great stories that they could be telling. I, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing a a silly silver agey story every now and again in an animated movie or, you know, some great bronze age tale or something like that. But anyway, my point was, is that, uh, I, I like where things are going, um, you know, on, on the other side of the aisle with with Marvel. I, I'm really, really digging the stuff that they're putting out. Um, while I have my worries and, you know, I, I, I fret a little bit about, you know, how long can they maintain it? And, you know, with the nature of the way Hollywood runs these days, you know, will they will they have a good long run with this thing or is it a flash in the pan? And a few years from now, everybody's going to get sick of comic book movies and it's all going to come crashing down. I, I don't really believe that, though. I think that, 
you know, with the with the people that are in charge and the and the you know the geniuses that we have working on these things. That I'd like to think that at least when it comes to the Marvel stuff, that they're going to have a good long run. I really think that they can build something that will last and that will entertain us for for years, maybe for generations. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. But at this moment in time. I'm incredibly optimistic about it. I mean, we've got some really cool stuff coming down the pike. You know, we've got, you know, by the time this episode comes out, you know, Thor will will have come out. I'm really looking forward to that. We got Cap next year and Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy and all these great things coming. I mean, whoever, whoever would have yeah. expected that we would ever get rocket raccoon and Groot and all these characters on the big screen to be taken seriously and be out there for the masses and we have people that don't even have a clue who these characters are that are super jazzed for a guardians of the freaking galaxy movie i barely know who they are and i'm excited about it (laughs) yeah i mean that's an amazing idea to me just that you know not only have we seen you know, uh, an Avengers movie with Cap and Iron Man and Thor, you know, all talking to each other and all interacting. But, you know, here we are a couple of years later and we're going to see Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, such an obscure Marvel property yet being handled completely seriously as a viable new property, big budget action. Fl- I mean, it's just come on. We, we live in amazing times as comic book nerds this is awesome this is great news this is really great stuff and if it continues to work and it it continues to be handled well there's nothing that they can't do if they can pull this guardians thing off what can't they do and that excites me that that fires me up that fires my imagination i i think it's great so for all the the quibbles you know that we have as fans about oh, they're not getting this right, they're not getting that right, or, you know, how long can it last, and blah, blah, blah. At the moment, let's just enjoy it. So, you know, to answer your question, do fanboys have too big a boner about these comic book movies? Yeah, maybe so, but I I know for me, (laughs) I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it, so... I don't know. I hope I answered your question. (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, and I would say so. Uh, Professor Allen, show me what you got. Uh, Excuse me? I thought this was just an audio podcast. Uh-oh. I'll turn on the camera, but um, no. I think that comic book movies probably have a better long-term future than comic book stores. I think that's the nature of the industry. And I agree with Scott. I'm generally optimistic. There will be ups and downs. There will be ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. But, you know, we've had superheroes – in movie theaters for 60, 70 years. And I don't see any reason why that's going to stop. There'll be times when they're less big budget and less popular, but they'll always come back again in the same way that movies based on books will always come back. I think movies based on comic books will always come back. And, And even when we talk about comic book movies, we're talking about superhero movies, but of course, there there are more to comic books than than just superheroes, and I think even the the non cape and cowl uh, comic books are certainly ripe for uh, 
for movie treatments as well, and 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 we we've seen that in this last decade as well. Yeah, I think uh, actually DC's got an unsung track record with that. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, so I I think um, so I I I think the future's bright. I think there's goods and bads. I think at this point, the goods probably outweigh the bad, but that doesn't mean there aren't any warning signs out there and i think that's what you're getting at with the topic trent right okay bill well hopefully my sound and my connection will stay uh <laughs> long enough for me to finish up i maybe i started out a little bit on the negative when we got going um i too want to see comic book movies keep going but i don't know if we can if they'll be able to sustain the level that they're at right now with the uh, with as many as we have coming out you know that it's going to o- oversaturate things, but I'm I'm hoping that they will. But then at the same time, how much further is that going to dilute and change the comics that we're reading now? And you know, where's in another five to ten years, if we're all still podcasting, are are we going to see this as the golden age of comic movies and 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 long long for the comics in, in the print form that maybe who knows maybe could be gone by then. All right. Um, well, for myself, the uh, the main points that I wanted to cover, I feel like, by and large, I pretty much did. My concern with with comic book movies really has always been: to what extent do they accurately portray my favorite characters? And I think, and again, as Scott said, I'm I'm DC born and DC bred, and when I die, DC dead. Their track record is actually the best you could say is mixed, but I feel like that there are there are reasons for hope, and apparently those reasons for hope don't include Bill's internet connection, but. <laughs> In any case, I do feel like there are, there are reasons for hope. I'm not – I'm actually to the point now with uh, live-action DC where every single movie they put out is guilty until proven innocent. And by the way, that includes Man of Steel. I had to be sold on that. And I'm basically right back in that same boat now with World's Finest where I once again – I'm going to need to be persuaded about this. This – Basically, this isn't the movie universe that I would like to see uh, DC bring across. I think that because Marvel is striving for a particular kind of tone, for DC to run so far away from, or I guess really Warner Brothers, for them to run so far away from their, from uh, not only not only from their comic book roots, but from what are uniquely their comic book roots. I feel like. That's that. That's a mistake, both in terms of betraying their legacy and also setting up their own independent brand identity in the marketplace. And there's also still the fact that there is an entire contingent of fans out there who, I think, if you wanted to put it in, I guess, religious terms, they've made an idol out of uh, out of comic book films. Honestly, at the end of the day, I'd like to think that we're all we're all on the same side and we're playing for the same team and everything, but. You know, I remain skeptical that whenever I go to a go to a comic book store, I still see 
granted, it's usually the same six or seven people, but there are still usually six or seven people that I can depend on who are talking only about TV shows, who are talking only about feature films, who are basically talking everything except comics. And I guess I'm just going to have to get over the fact that, you know what, yeah, that may piss me off, but they're here and they're at least they're here with an agenda. And I, maybe I can at least bring myself to have grudging respect for that. Time will tell. Um, but uh, as I said, I've kind of run my mouth so much here. Um, uh, Professor Allen, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, the little network of podcasts that uh, I've got going is the Relatively Geeky Network, Relatively Geeky Podcast.blogspot.com, or search that in, in iTunes. Uh, on that, I host the Quarterbin Podcast. Then I co-host with my daughter the Shortbox Showcase. I also occasionally show up as a co-host on the Book Guy Show, where we talk about not just comic books, though we do, but also about other types of books as well. Very good. Uh, what do you uh, mean other types of books? You know, Star Wars Extended Universe books. Oh, all right, awesome. <laughs> I thought he was talking about Tijuana Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Scott, where where can everyone uh, find you? Ah, uh, you can find me in at- hell. <laughs> <laughs> You can always find me at twotruefreaks.com, where we have a, uh, I don't even know what the word would be anymore, myriad of shows. We got Star Wars Monthly Monday, Star Trek Monthly Monday, Needlepoint Monthly Monday. We got a million of them, so come on over and check us out. Plus, we also have Back to the Bins, where you can find me occasionally anyway, (laughs) Uh, my good buddies, uh, Paul Spataro, and of course, Bill Robinson, who's right here on this very episode with us, or or maybe not. He keeps <laughs> ducking in and out. I'm so. here. I'm here. I'm here for now. <laughs> okay, and and uh, Bill, uh, apart from back to the bins, is there anything anywhere else they can find you? Um, I'm also on Walking Dead Wednesday with uh, Chris Honeywell and Sean Angle on uh, the Two True Freaks Network, and we also uh, Scott, Paul, and I do. Um, Avengers Spotlight, which actually we have another episode coming out soon if I can finish editing it. (laughs) Uh, That's when you're not on, Scott. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Sorry, buddy. (laughs) So uh, that's that's pretty much it. Well, that sounds great. So again, I just want to thank all of you, including Sean Angle, for uh, coming out tonight. It's been a blast uh, talking through all of this with you. I'm sorry I kept you guys up so late, but uh, nevertheless, it was great fun talking to all of you. And just thanks again. It 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 means a lot that that you're able to join me tonight. Thanks for inviting us. (laughs) It was fun. All right. All right. Well, bye everybody, and uh, I'll uh, see you next week. Okay. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled 
T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. <sighs> Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo de Manzo. And where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you. An offer that you should not refuse. Uh, okay. What is it? I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so... You will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay. Cool. Some time has passed. And 
And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. Bravo. God! Bravo. How, how the hell did you find me? And How did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true, so let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com. And I am gathering up podcasts such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network. And in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The DiManzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at twotruefreaks.com. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to it. You might want to only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time. And then if you go out of that, it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough so it's better to just set it up oh, okay it, it really doesn't work well so i checked right. uh i checked my uh mm-hmm. what's it called? my pr- okay. it definitely built built me for the hotel for all three of us join back to the bins every week for goodness solomon grunder hate voiceovers you like cheap comic books right well i'm professor allen and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny.